Before we start on this week's episode, which itself already has an intro that reflects on the moment we're in, I want to share a couple of additional things I find meaningful right now. Organizer Mariame Kaba is known for her expression that hope is a discipline. She continues in an interview I read saying, it's less about how you feel and more about the practice of making a decision every day that you're still going to put one foot in front of the other, that you're still going to get up in the morning and you're still going to struggle. It's work to be hopeful. It's not a fuzzy feeling. Like if you actually have to put in energy, time, and you have to be clear-eyed and you have to hold fast to having a vision. Her words reminds me of a saying that comes down from the tradition of Jewish survivors of the Holocaust, like my own family. Um, the expression in Yiddish is, uh, we will outlive them. And like hell, am I going to let myself be outlived by Henry Kissinger or Rupert Murdoch or Clarence Thomas? Please stick with me. We've got each other. I don't know if you remember the episode we taped this winter with uh, about the Black Widow movie. My guests both work for Abortion Access Front. They are throwing an online event Sunday, July 17th called Operation Save Abortion. It's not a march. It's a training day that you can do from home that will guide you and your posse towards all the different ways you can join in the fight. And it's going to be powerful. It's not just another training that's going to be like, oh, go talk to voters. This is much more in-depth and complex and narration. It's not like a training you've done before. It is absolutely about abortion justice, liberation, and organizing, and will get you concrete skills you need to start making change in your community right away. So visit their website, which is aafront.org. Or just Google Operation Save Abortion, aafront.org, and join us. Remember, you are not alone. And this is Graphic Policy Radio. Hello, welcome to Graphic Policy Radio. Hey, if you're like me, the current state of politics leaves you with existential dread, bone-deep exhaustion, and wondering if maybe your refugee grandparents should have built a portal to a multiverse instead of immigrating to America. While I can't solve all of that, I can say that what lies within this week's episode of Graphic Policy Radio is a conversation about an original graphic memoir that might make you feel a little more hopeful and inspired, and certainly a lot more well-informed about how political organizing can win change for the better, and the machinations of New York politics, which, by the way, is something you'll even be able to vote about on June 28th if you're a registered Democrat in New York. But whether you live here or across the galaxy, I am excited to announce to you an amazing new graphic memoir called Radical, My Year with a Socialist Senator and its creator, cartoonist Sophia Werner, who, and its creator, cartoonist Sophia Warren, who is joining me today on the podcast. Sophie is a uh, Sophia Warren has been a contributing cartoonist to the New Yorker since 2017, and her work has been featured in MoMA magazine, Narrative magazine, Catapult, and the books Send Help and Notes from the Bathroom Line. She was born in Rhode Island and is currently based in Brooklyn. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Alana. It's great to be here. You know, I found out about this because um, the publisher Top Shelf sent an email to Graphic Policy in general, just announcing your availability to interview for the book. And 
uh, Brett, who edits the website, you know, always passes that stuff along to me. And I replied to him to say, dude, this is literally about the candidate who ran in the race that was the very, that back in, back in 20, 2004, my first paid political, no, sorry, my second paid political job in New York was working on a candidate who ran against Elon, who's the guy who uh, our candidate, Julia Sells, are here defeated. So yes, I am very close to the source material and I would very much love to have someone who wrote a book about it on the podcast. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you. It seems like we overlap a lot. Quite amazingly. It's, um, it just feels like a whole world of difference out there. Um, you know, back in 2004, the, the idea that we could beat him felt like, uh, ah, maybe, probably not, but maybe. And then to be in a point where he literally was defeated and now we have a socialist senator representing Bushwick and Ridgewood and some of Los Soros in Brooklyn. And we have a book, not just about, not about her campaign, but a book about her first year uh, serving as a state senator. I, I just think that's an amazing thing. Um, so t- tell our listeners, how did you get started as a cartoonist? What, what, what made you get interested in this particular medium of storytelling? Mm-hmm. Uh, so my, Parents are both visual artists, actually. They met at RISD. Um, so I've had an art background in that sort of informal way for my whole life. Um, cartooning, cartoons were something I was always interested in as a kid, meaning like syndicated comics and Calvin and Hobbes, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a little bit of a meandering path. For a while, I thought I was interested in doing film. Um, Eventually, I found my way through animation to comics, um, and I will say that I, I think I'm more naturally suited towards it because it's a lot less, uh, you get to kind of control everything with the pen rather than <laughs> navigating the complicated social dynamics and dealing with big equipment that I would be mm. having to figure out on a film set. Um, so it's definitely, I'm, I'm happy to be in this arena and to move away from the film stuff. So I do miss it sometimes. Sure. Yeah. Um, but what about the um, memoir sort of style uh, of, of, of doing work? Um, it's interesting because, you know, doing stuff for The New Yorker feels like it's a very different cartooning than what what you worked on with this book. It definitely felt that journalism. way. Yeah. Yeah. I I think of it as a memoir and and the reason for that I think is in part because this is the first time I'm doing this. Um and so it's certainly nonfiction. I went into this knowing that this was gonna be a book, so there's a lot of recording on my part in the form of audio recordings and video and notes in the moment, notes after the fact, you know, day of sort of write up, that kind of thing. So a lot of primary search material, but um, I like to think of it as a memoir because I think it, it it allowed me to feel a little bit more free with the creative of it in terms of I stayed really close with Julia and her team. The book really followed their experience quite closely rather than me trying to kind of, you know, get counter interviews with, say, the real estate folks who, in the case of this book, are, are more or less the antagonists. Um, mm-hmm. So, but yes, as far as the, the cartooning style, it it was a big departure for me. I hadn't really done anything of this length before. Um, so basically every aspect of this, from figuring out, you know, 
how to follow someone around and get primary source documentation and how to structure it into a book and how to deal with the, the visual aspects of it, the layout, all that kind of thing. It was, it was a journey. I think it, it, the reason that I did it is because I felt really compelled by this story and the experience of following this state senator around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think like every, every artist really develops their own visual style and it's always a synthesis of different influences but um who are the artists who influenced how how you literally like draw and represent figures on a page because there's such an interesting combination of really recognizable to me portraits of specific people um and so many really gestural drawings of people who i might not know individually but have a lot of uniqueness and clarity in in who they are Mm -hmm. thank you um yeah, it's a great question. And I feel like, honestly, my answer kind of changes depending on who's like front of mind on any given day. <laughs> um, I, I certainly spend a lot of time with New Yorker cartoons and New Yorker cartoonists. Um, in my, in the last, you know, five years, that's definitely something that I look at quite a lot. Um, so in that arena, I'm, I'm trying to think of, of, rather than just people I admire, people who I feel like my work is kindred to. Um, Certainly Mort Gerberg, who's a New Yorker cartoonist, very gestural, very kinetic. Um, Sam Gross. A lot of the the New Yorker cartoons sort of in general, the things that I'm gleaning from them are are a certain kind of economy and energy. So um, I think that comes through in the book in some ways as far as, again, really focusing on like, what you mentioned gesture that's certainly a thing that I think about a lot in terms of characterization um and in terms of just kind of getting a sense of a scene I really lean into looking at figures and what they're doing and then you know action in the body rather than um buildings and that kind of thing and mm-hmm. um, that's, that's just kind of where my eye goes um and then as far as as graphic novels the closest analog to this that that I was thinking about a lot was March, uh, the March trilogy about Lewis, um, that memoir. And that is one of the reasons I was so excited to work with Top Shelf because this is the same creative team that worked on that. So it was really helpful as we were structuring it to be able to use their experience with that to, to bring it forward into this book. I think it's so cool that they that they do doing this with you because it's, you know, to me, like what could possibly, as somebody who literally worked in like New York state, politics including this race in years past nothing could possibly be more interesting than this but it's actually a really unique topic for a graphic novel um because it's not it's it's new york politics it's not national politics um yeah so i think it's exciting that they were like yes this is a story that folks need yeah and and part of the appeal for me was not to to be honest like i was not coming from a background of of new york politics that's pretty evident in the book <laughs> um that mm-hmm. this was kind of my my major foray into it was that i was really intrigued by julia's race it was very visible in the neighborhood and i as a person who had not previously spent a lot of time learning about state politics felt really compelled to, to learn more and to figure out what was going on um and so my hope is and and the way the book was structured by my end the conversations that i had with top shelf was that the aim is for the book to talk to people who aren't deep in the weeds in the specifics of New York politics, right? And that there's mm-hmm. there's a lot about this experience, I hope, that feels relevant to people who aren't who are in different states, 
or maybe working at different levels of government or in organizing outside of government. Certainly a lot of this took because Julia, the main state senator, came from an organizing background and so did much of her staff. Um, the way that they structure their governmental office is, is very kindred to organizing and they work very closely with organizers. So a lot of that material feels like it reaches past just being a politician in a mm-hmm. particular moment. Um, and one of the things that's so cool about comics and why I like continue to be so excited to work in this medium is that um, they're just so good at communicating things. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's such a, it can be such an accessible way to break down complicated things, to bring this narrative element uh, to things that might otherwise feel complicated and dry. Um, so, so that has, that has pretty appeal for me was to kind of try and push these things together. As graphic policy, it seems, has a keen interest in as well, and <laughs> government and comics all at once. Yeah, I um I really feel like you do a great job of mapping out some more complex systems in the book on pages. And sometimes it sort of takes the the way of like maps that I, I love the section where you're you're talking and you talk with her a few times, which is very cool with CO Weaver from Housing Justice for All, who you, I think mm-hmm. you captured really excellently here. I love seeing cartoons of people who I actually know in this uh-huh. book. But um you have some great back and forth where she's sort of drawing out how the system works and you're also kind of drawing it back with her to illustrate the history of some of the housing uh, legislation in New York um, and the and the organizing process and then later on with her back and forth with the at the time uh, very very terrifying and completely fucking evil Governor Cuomo like you, you're using that you're using the comics format to to chart and to map things in a way that I don't think somebody who's like making infographics for an office or something, they're, they're not going to do it the way you did. It's, and I think it's a lot clearer this way. Thank you. I think a lot of that is because of Sia and the other mm. people in the book who explain things, you know, these are especially talking with organizers, organizers are very good at explaining things, <laughs> you know, in terms that, that are understandable and that are intentionally made to be something that you as a layman can, can kind of latch on to. Um, and, and also, you know, comics, because they're visual, I think like, like with graphic design, they represent the opportunity to break things down visually, but then you also have this narrative element, right? In the case of this comic, I'm following these people around. And if you care about these people and the way that they tell this information to me, um, or the way that it plays out, not in conversation, but in actual practice, um, then that's certainly how my brain works. I remember stories more than I remember statistics. I think that's true for, for a lot of folks. So that was definitely the hope in the book was that because it's a human story, because these people are interesting and and you get to see them going through this rather than it just being like art, um, that it adds something new to, to the material. So the book is basically, you know, shows how you first kind of got interested in the campaign, some of your Sorry, in, in Julia Salazar, you know, as campaign and then her being in office and how you approach uh, her to get to go ahead to follow her staff around for the year and report on their first year in office. And, and through that, you tell the story of um, housing rights legislation that the campaign um, is supporting and that her office then is trying to pass, as well as uh, 
you know, stuff around your process around the book, but also really getting to know the different people who work in the office and, and then learning some lessons from them about how organizing works, the difference between mobilizing and organizing, which I think people can always use a good run through of, um, and sort of where it, where it sets off and leaves the office and other candidates like her in the future. I think that's sort of my digest version of, um, of the book here. And that's just a, a lot to, to cover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it felt like a lot. And, and, um, and structuring it was tricky, right? Because it's, it was never interesting to me to tell a story that I think would have been the easiest narratively, which would have been sort of like the story of Julia Salazar. Like, here is the person who did it. It's like character study of a great leader or, you know, that that wasn't interesting to me because it felt from the beginning like here is a person who's running at the head of a movement, representing a movement. It would it would seem sort of disingenuous or beside the point to present her as a character ahead of all of that. So structurally, it, it caused some some headaches for me to figure out if this is a book that needs to have a narrative, what do we follow? And it had to be kind of more of an ensemble cast. And um, and the through line, like you mentioned, was this um, was this office through one, and also this this tenants' rights legislation um, that was set to expire. The 2019 sunset was in June, and so there was this really uh, intense push throughout the year to try and pass this legislation in the strongest form possible. Um, so that that is kind of the way that the story is structured: is, is will or will this pass or not? Um, and will these people be able to get it to pass? Yeah. I mean, we find ourselves now in 2022 where the governor's office did not pass the good cause eviction, despite all the promises and all the fighting we made, we've done now for, you know, for, for 2022, it's, uh, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> yeah. So the, 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 Good cause eviction bill is among the package of bills for tenants' rights that are trying to be passed in 2019. It's Julia's bill in particular, and it's the most, um, it's the least vetted among people in Albany at the time. They haven't seen this bill the way that they've seen the others. Um, the other bills have had a history of passing the assembly and not the Senate. Hers is a new bill, so people are less familiar, and it's also mm -hmm. representing most, I'm just recapping, but uh, most representing universal rent control of this group of bills um, because it will extend past people who are already in right stabilized rent control departments. So yeah, it was it's it's frustrating. It was frustrating in 2019 to see that bill be up in the air and ultimately not pass. It's again frustrating to see that it's happened again. Um, I I showed this book. To see a weaver into some of the housing justice for all folks, I think at a moment where things were were feeling kind of tough a few months ago. Yeah. And I will say something that was, was nice is that they they really appreciated seeing 2019 <laughs> captured in this way because so much was really successful. Um, mm -hmm. There was real energy that that got a lot of these bills to pass in ways that were kind of previously unimaginable. Um, yeah. And so I think the component of, and, and also for me, because I hadn't really come from the background in organizing, 
and seeing Fan Nest that was structured off of previous less successful campaigns, right? This was not the first time that they were doing this. They had tried yeah. and failed in a number of different years. Um, that context for me was helpful because it meant, you know, the bill didn't pass this time, but there's good work here that's been done. There's good organizing that's still in place. Um, different strategies, different contexts will arise in the years to come. Um, so it's, it's still deflating, but I think for me, it's, it's at least useful to have that context to say, it's not just you pass or you fail. It's like, what happens now? How do you regroup? What do you do differently? What did you learn? Um, so all of that comes from my experience with this book. Yeah. I mean, and the, the organizing relationships you build don't go away. Right. Right. And I think that's totally. an important, important lesson from it all as well. There's an amazing page you have that I've shared with a few people since I was reading it. Um, that is sort of a view from underneath the um, elevated JMZ train. And um, you can see, I forget the name. It's like, I think it's a dime bank in the background, but there's just people walking on the street. It's like, I know this intersection. And you have um, one of the people saying just, there are a lot of leaders out there. And that really is true. And I think one of the big takeaways that folks should have from the book is that like, there are lots, it's not about one person. It's really about a movement. And there's lots of, there are lots of people who could be stepping in and making, making a really big difference um, by participating collectively. Totally. Yeah. And that, that it was a really meaningful lesson. And it already, you know, the, since I left, I was intensely following them in 2019. And then once the legislative session ended that year and it took a step back um, and in the way of these things, there's been quite a lot of turnover since then. You know, the, the team, as I knew it, is not still intact in that way. Um, but people have stepped up, people have moved into different positions, people have moved on to other places. Um, and obviously there's a lot of kind of overlap in that. And it is exciting to see that happen and to see people, new people be able to come in and, and use those structures to bring their own energy to it. Yeah. And you really, you really show, you know, the incoming class of, of awesome socialist legislators and the history that New York State has had in there. Um, one of the things that it's been really great for me is um, whenever I see members of organizations that my friends work at, I've been sending them some, some photos of the pages. Um, I know Winsome from NYCC is now asking for a autographed copy of the book. Oh, it would be an honor he's terrific yeah total legend right um you know i i think it's important like as much as we're talking about this about this is about building a movement and it's not about one people one person i think it's really important that the people who've been putting in so much work for years also see themselves memorialized and reflected as specific individual people in art like this because as much as we, you know, are motivated by trying to change the world, it matters for us to see ourselves represented in, in places and, and to see that others see us and what we're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to, to be able to show the book to more people from, from having justice for all because it's, it's been really rewarding so far to show people and, and see how excited they've been. Um, that's been. That's been really important to me. 
And I, 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 I just, you know, I, I was joking on Twitter, but not really joking because it's really true that like until this book came out, I felt like the series phonogram from uh, Jamie McKelvey and Karen Gillan was the most I'd ever really seen myself in a comic book. And that's like literally an urban fantasy book about music nerds. Uh, and then this came out and I was like, oh, it's like literally people I've organized with. So this is the new record of thing I've most seen myself in, in book format. And I have to say, it feels really good. That's amazing to hear. I'm, I'm really happy about that. Yeah. I mean, I, it was such, it was such a meaningful year for me. I really like, it felt important to me to try and, you know, capture this accurately. And, and also to show Initially, my, my first concept for this, I didn't want my own character to be a part of this book. I imagined it being sort of more eye on the wall and removing myself from it. Um, at, pretty early in the structuring of it, I, I realized that it was important to have me there because I wanted to kind of, I wanted people to, to be reminded of my bias and to know that, you know, I wasn't, this is a person coming into this who was not a deep part of politics before this so I think a that reflects and and also that it was it's a story about my character going through this which means that I'm developing these relationships with folks I didn't know them before I'm getting to know them um figuring out who they are what my relationship is to them um so I wanted it to be in there so that it could it could feel honest to that and allow me to kind of show the parts that that my eye fell on and the things that were interesting to me and, and remind folks that uh I'm the person they're asking questions and that I get to develop these cool relationships with people. Um, so, so that was the hope in, in having me in there. So when you were following folks around, are you taking notes and drawing or just taking notes? It depended on the context. And um, certainly things like marches, it was a little bit more tough to be drawing. I did do some, um, but there was, there was one early March that was, in a blizzard where I was yeah. still trying to figure out technique and was kind of trying to draw in the blizzard and just having a completely run off the page immediately. Um, so it was a mix. When I was in staff meetings, I did a lot of sketching when things were kind of more stationary. Um, and I would you know move around the room and be recording audio and writing down notes and uh, drawing. Um, and sometimes it was taking video reference or drawing later. Uh, just depends on the day. Mm, that's interesting. And I know that there's some stuff where you took reference photos, but it doesn't seem like it's a really big part of it. So that's kind of an amazing memory to have. <laughs> um, yeah, I tried to, you know, I also used like street view and, and after the fact kind of construction. There were a few times when I would, you know, specifically go out. So for that, the underpass of Broadway, JMT underpass, that's in the book a few times. Um, I did go back and take some some reference photos later just to make sure that I was getting it getting it right. And part of what was so fun for the book, I mean, I say that my eye really goes towards people. That's what I draw the most and I'm the most interested in. But it was also really fun for me to try and capture this area. This is, you know, my neighborhood in North Brooklyn and to try and get the character of that atmospherically. It's more of a background than it is explicitly part of the text but, but to be able to get you know the actual storefront on this actual street and people walking on the street that i may or may not have seen before um all of that was really fun to, to flesh out 
I mean, I, I, I lived in Williamsburg and, and worked in Bushwick for a while, um, and I don't live there anymore, but it was all very, very, like, recognizable from the intersections and feelings in general, um, which is very, very cool. Fantastic. Are you working digitally or on paper for this? This is all digital. This was drawn on a Wacom Cintiq, and I was drawing in Photoshop. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah, which I think... I think streamlined the process a little because it was pandemic. So I was <laughs> kind of moving around a fair bit. Um, so it was nice to have everything digitally for that reason. Um, so I would, I would write it. I was kind of laying out the pages with just the text as I was writing it. And so it would first just be the text on the page. And then I would go in chapter by chapter and add in sketches. Um, and then later went back and did sitting and walking mm. cool cool yeah you know you mentioned working with us during covid there's an interesting moment i bookmarked in the book which is um i think like you're just going in to visit her in the in the uh in the capital or her capital offices for the first time and you could overhear a person a lot of coming through the door like a a, a lobbyist trying to speak Say mm-hmm. and you don't you never see their face, which I think it's amazing. Actually, no, you do see their face on the next page, but it's um you just see this voice saying, "And unvaccinated children are the only ones denied public education in the United States." And this is not even COVID vaccination. This is from you know anti measles vaccines period yeah. of of wackiness. Um, and you know you see poor Bora, poor Boris having to be like, "Yeah, help, happy to hear more from you later," because you like have to listen to people even if they're absolutely misguided. Um, but it was such an interesting thing seeing sort of the, an inkling of the, of, of terrible things to come creeping in that very moment. Did you include that for that reason or? It was not intentionally about COVID. It was sort of just, I mean, that is what happened on that day. I mean, that particular chapter, that's the, um, the first day in Albany for myself and for, for everyone else, it was the swearing in ceremony. Um, and so that day I followed pretty closely from from early in the day towards the end of the day when we took the train back because it was so overwhelming and because I was not the only one that was kind of experiencing these things. I wanted to try and capture just what it was like. And that was part of it was that there were these lobbyists in the office and they wanted to talk about vaccination. They were getting in there early. They didn't quite have the ear. You know, Boris is very respectful. <laughs> This was very obviously not going to be someone they were going to convince onto their side as far as anti-vaccination, but um, it's just kind of part of the, the culture of Albany, right? Our lobbyists are, are a big part of it. Um, and of course, over the course of a year, I couldn't include everything in the book, but there were, I mean, this was, this was constant. This was a big thing that actually a lot of calls, they were getting a ton of calls from constituents and from folks outside of the district about measles vaccines because there was an outbreak going on um that year so even before covid that was that was just the reality of of the governmental experience yeah i think it's important for folks to see how fast out the gate that population was with trying to persuade elected officials and you know julia has been really good like she was just messaging the other day about how it's fucked up that the state government is getting rid of covid protections like she actually gets it and i know she's you know, struggle with COVID effects herself. Um, but actually yeah. speaking of struggling with things and being human, I think one of the real 
one of the things you really made a point with is showing in the book was you, you talk about the metaphor of like, they don't let you know that they have sandwiches or for the lawmakers off camera for when they make them sit in the assembly for an ungodly law. I'm sorry, when they sit in session for an ungodly long period of time, um, they don't let you know that there's sandwiches there for them, but there are because they are people, even though the sandwiches are yeah. bad. You have such a great bit about that. Yeah, I mean, and that was what was so fun about, um, I spent a lot of time with Julia Stafford as well as Julia, um, and all of that, you know, I would, just by virtue of being in the office, so I, because I live in, um, I lived in North Brooklyn, well, I, technically I lived one block into Ridgewood, but my neighborhood was, was North Brooklyn. Um, so I was in the district more than I was in Albany, and so it meant I had lots of time to get to know the staffers, um, and so that comes through a conversation with Gabby, who was, who was the digital comms person at the time. Um, and we're, and she comes from an organizing background. And, and yeah, we were, we were talking about how Julia has this kind of double, she both has to be a real person and also she has to do sort of impossible things, right? It is true that she was sitting on a hearing for 11 hours and then she had, you know, full binders of, policy to review that same day as well as committees that just a lot of and you know day-to-day district stuff a lot going on and also it's true that she's a normal person and we know that because we hang out with her and there are sandwiches off to the side so that it looks like they're sitting there for 11 hours straight and actually there's some time when they're off camera and they can go and get a sandwich um and and part of that conversation with, with Gabby was about how important it is to show those things because otherwise it, it looks like these people are not like me. I could never get on a hearing for 11 hours straight. I would need a sandwich. <laughs> right. Um, so, so, and I, I think also just personality wise, Julia wasn't necessarily the person that was going to complain to me about how hard it was to do all the things she was doing. So in some ways in the book, the context that you get about how hard her job is, is coming from people kind of marveling at her from the outside. You know, her staff are being like, she's doing what? Um, so that was, that was good for me to get those conversations. I mean, yeah, I, I really, you know, it's really amazing. Like running, especially in the context that she ran, where the incumbent is extremely powerful and a bully, and they also probably broke into the campaign office that I was working out of years ago and stole my computer. Uh, oh my they would, they legendarily would like if your car was not in a secure parking, such parking before election day, if they think it was from the campaign, would like slash your tires. Like shit is scary. It's brutal. it's brutal and scary. It's like something out of a movie. People who aren't from New York don't understand. Like, no, it's like still the 1930s here, um, and. Um, you know, it's, it requires an incredible bravery to run, and yet she shows such humility throughout the whole thing. I, at one point, she says something like, you know, she's like, I don't really like having to do a confrontation. And it's so interesting to me because I'm someone who, like, I could never run for office because I fucking hate rejection. But I'm fine with confrontation. <laughs> like, everybody has their own. <laughs> everybody has their own sort of barriers about these things. Yeah. For me, it was really, for lots of reasons, it was cool to get to know Julia better, but, but especially the fact that she is introverted, I think she's a, 
think she's a very talented public speaker, but it's for sure not her interest. Um, she really, her, her brand of leadership, I found just particularly inspiring because it, I related in some ways to her. Um, she's very much a listener. I was in a lot of meetings with her, especially early on when she was kind of introducing herself around the district and within, you know, city agencies, hospitals, that kind of thing. Um, where people she was talking to would at the end of these conversations say, I've never been listened to like this from a, from a public official. I, and I think that's just a real source of power for her is that she really doesn't need to take up all that space. She's very gifted at, um, at empowering people around her and her staff, for instance. Um, but also in this kind of mode of leadership that's, that's not about, you know, expressly like personal charisma. It's more about how to get this work done. Um, so, so for me, it's really exciting to be able to, to show that in the book because I think it's really important to see that everybody has different strengths and weaknesses and, and they don't all have to look one way to be successful in this, in this role. Yeah, yeah. It's cool because you, you, know, you, you like contrast sort of like Zelnor or Myrie, who's very close to being my state senator, but I'm right out of the district now, like giving this totally badass fiery speech, but like everybody has a different approach. You know, one of the things that, um, and you, you talk, you know, with her being a listener, it's like you really show how her roots are in organizing work. And you specifically mentioned she had a fellowship with Jews for Racial and Economic Justice. And, uh, I'm on the steering committee of their political arm. So I took a picture of that and shared that with everyone, um, which I hope you don't mind. And people are really excited to sort of share and promote the book and see themselves in the book. And, you know, I, I feel like there's not just like seeing like the name of our organization mentioned in it, but like also you have all of these, like I said, diagrams illustrating how power works and how organizing works and, you know, policies and laws getting passed in Albany. Like, how do you feel about the ways that organizers and activists can use this book um, moving forward? Like, you know, if, if this is your work that you worked really hard to do, that you're you're asking people to buy so that you can continue to make a living. And like, I don't know if I want to like post something on Instagram from it, highlighting like here's this great diagram that shows the importance of this work and, you know, tag you and credit you like. How do you feel about the ways organizers can can use this book themselves? Oh my god, that's all I want. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I obviously, yeah, I want I want the book to be successful in terms of me being able to keep you know paying rent. But um, no, it would feel really weird to me actually for it not to be something that people felt comfortable sharing um, because that for me was the whole point was that I wanted to I wanted to know more about this. I felt like my kind of, and by this, I mean politics, but, but also just sort of like how to, how to affect teens, right? Like I didn't know a lot about collective action before this. I now feel like I have a really good toolkit um, because of these amazing people who were very patient with me, who both showed and told me in multiple different contexts um, about these kind of tenets about how this works, right? Um, and that was so inspiring and motivating for me that that's that's my hope with this book is that it would be able to translate some of that um so i would be thrilled um i hope that people will yeah disseminate it as as it's useful to them mm, that's great thank you yeah we always need these visual tools to help us tell the story and communicate things to people you know yeah 
And I've done, I have done a few um, with Housing Justice for All. I did a few kind of like live drawing sessions with them, which I found really fun. It was like kind of a quicker turnaround, more direct uh, drawing experience where they just kind of had, um, I was more or less kind of just copying down what people said and drawing little pictures of them, doing shorter kind of diagrams. Both of these things are really exciting to me. I think that was, those are really kind of like direct, immediate tools, visual tools that kind of just add play and dynamism and a visual uh, offering to, to some of the cool things that people are saying. And with the book, um, my hope is that because it has this narrative element as well, that it, it reaches people on kind of a different level about more of the kind of fundamental aspects of organizing, about how power works, about how government works. Um, so, yeah, I'm always trying to explore different arenas of, of how to use comics in that way. Well, I can definitely say, you know, like a lot of us have been really struggling with burnout and feeling bad and um, getting this book arriving on my doorstep. Thank you to the publisher for sending me a print review copy. More people should do that. Um, definitely, you know, like it, it felt really good and it, it felt like a positive thing to just be able to have and engage in. I'm so happy to hear that. Thank you. You know, one of the things that you do that um, I feel like is missing from anything else that I've seen written about her is you sort of talk about how er, in her campaign, like once the opposition, and in this case, I don't mean the opposition as in the incumbent former Senator mm -hmm. Galan, I mean the opposition in meaning the real estate lobby started mm -hmm. doing opposition research into Julia as a person and tried to pull apart different like inconsistencies from her story of how she told her story about her past and you know, what she did or didn't do. And um, I think, you know, you have this really great approach where you're saying like, it isn't about her as an individual. And then at a certain point, you do have a conversation with her and you kind of talk more about her story and her past and conclude that like, it, it's not really the central part of it again. But one of the things that I wanted to sort of talk about is I was back when all this shit was going down, I spoke with a friend of mine who, um, you know, her family came to the U.S. from the Soviet Union and she was, I was saying like, Hey, what do you think about all this? Obviously I support her, but like, what, what do you think about this? You know, the way these people are talking about the conflicting stories. And my friend said, the thing is what Julia is describing is not surprising to me at all as someone, you know, who, who his family came to America as immigrants, um, and who, you know, have a certain amount of other kinds of privilege, but came from a refugee background because I was poor and then we weren't poor. And then there were other times we were poor again. And then there were other times where I wasn't. And then I was able to go to college and our lives are complicated. And the more we have people running for office who are from more diverse backgrounds, the more you'll be finding people whose actual true life stories don't neatly map into the, oh, they were this one identity or this other identity and that was it and that was all kinds of ways the media tries to treat people so you know my friend was like maybe literally all of it's true but and that's okay like i you know like trying to like get to the truth is sort of reductionist of the complexities that we have as you know people whose lives are at a range of different intersections and i was just like oh yeah no that makes sense like i you know i saw that from my in my parents experience you know um um so I feel yeah. like, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to, in case 
people haven't, you know, followed the campaign so closely. Yeah. So initially I didn't, I did not know Julia at all before the project. Um, and in the book pretty early on, there's a direct email that I sent her that was like, Hey, all your campaign, like, could I follow you around? I'm a cartoonist. Um, that was our initial contact. I didn't know her before. And during her campaign, there was a lot of conflicting information about her, her character in particular, um, especially after AOC won in June, her primary, that was super unexpected. And there was suddenly all this attention on Julia's campaign. Um, and as someone who didn't know her, I had no idea what to think. There were, you know, allegations that she was insincere, that she was saying she was an immigrant, that she wasn't. Um, that her politics were suspects, that she was a conservative, she came from a conservative background, and what did that mean? Just, um, all of this that, that kind of really cast a, a, an air of mystery about the character of this person, and that was all part of the context for me going into meeting her. Um, and I've tried to be as honest as possible in this book about my experience of getting to know her through this book project, which is, again, that I sent an email. I said, I would like to do this project. I had creative control over it. They never looked at anything until the very end. I sent them a draft and I was almost completely done. As a courtesy, there was never any expectation that they would have any oversight. Um, I didn't get any changes from them at any point. So it was, it was, it was totally in my discretion. And I, I felt a, an obligation there to be honest about what I thought, right? And my experience of, of seeing Julia in the context is that she was a really, really hard worker. She was very sincere. Her politics were really sound. I just, I, there, there wasn't anything there that, that made me question her as a legislator. And so, I mean, it, it is just my experience that in crafting this book, it's just, it felt very far by the time I was putting this together. The, the relevance of whether or not she was a Republican in college and all of this stuff. Um, and, and the reason that it's in the book is A, because I wanted to be honest about it. But also, like you said, I think, uh, as people are running from complex backgrounds, which is what we want, which is the goal of, of people who weren't just sort of bred from birth in political dynasties representing us. It means that life is messy. And so the expectation is that there will be a lot of, you know, rough campaigns. And so I think figuring out how to deal with that on a personal level is important. And I can try to see how that experience was for Julia. Thank you. That's really powerful. Um, so what do you think you're going to be working on next? Oh, it's a good question. <laughs> um, this has been three three years of, of my brain, <laughs> and so I, I still kind of feel like I'm, I'm figuring out what's next. I'm hopeful that that now that the book exists in the world, that you know, I would love to keep doing similar projects. Um, I've been able to do kind of shorter form stuff in roughly this arena. So I, I was at Occupy City Hall a few years back and kind of documenting live drawing of that experience which is a, oh, wow. a extended protest movement around the city budget and um, but we'll see i think for me it would feel it would feel exciting to, to do collaborations um and i don't totally know what form that would take um 
that whether that's working with journalists or organizations. Um, and and to be honest, I also still it's I still like writing, you know, humor and stuff that's kind of less expressly political. Um, and so figuring out, I'm still kind of figuring out the balance on on those things. Um, but I don't know. I do feel like it's it was such an intense few years of doing this. It was not the only thing I was doing just because I, mm. you know, was was not making tons of money off the book <laughs> in terms of uh, advances and stuff. But um, but it's just been a, such a big part of my brain that it does feel like I'm still kind of figuring out how to pivot. Got it. Well, um, let our listeners know the best way to keep up with your work online. The easiest way is probably Instagram. My Instagram is my name, Sophia Warren Art. Uh, and then I have a website. I don't have a Twitter anymore, so those are the best two options. I hear you. So that's S-O-F-I-A, Sophia. And Warren with mm-hmm. two R's. Awesome. Yep. But yeah, folks should go get the book, Radical, My Year of a Socialist Senator. Um, it is available at where comic books and non-comic books are sold and presumably the library too. You know, one thing I really cracked up at is um, when Jews Racial and Economic Justice posted something about when they were uh, telling people about the book's launch and that they were in it and, and et cetera. They went and they linked to City and State Magazine that had a uh, write-up about it. And of course, City and State Magazine, you have drawings of City State Mag of City State uh, in the book itself. So it's all kind of an obros of New York uh, coverage. <laughs> yes, totally. Well, I'm glad to see folks are are, are checking it out, and um, want to thank our listeners for listening. Later in the summer, we're voting for Congress. I have made many endorsements myself, but I also personally co-sign all the endorsements of the Jewish Vote. You can check out what we have online. You can always ask me questions there, too. My Twitter is E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. That's E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. And as we like to say, keep it geeky.